On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to Mark Anthony Kay of Project Gemini and the Yes Music Podcast. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory as we welcome friend of the Palaver, Mark Anthony Kay, to discuss the latest Project Gemini project. Mark, welcome back, my friend. It's been uh, it's been far too long since we've chatted. Um, we've, you know, as we were discussing off air, uh, you know, sometimes life gets on top of people, and that's what happened to uh, us here at the Palaver in in twenty twenty one, and uh, I guess twenty twenty two, whatever yeah. the case may be. And uh, you know, I think we've we've flirted a couple of times because we we had a number of different topics that we wanted to uh, to discuss with you. Most notably, like still on my list of things to do, is to have you on for a lessons learned on of all things Peter Gabriel, which was a really long time ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, glad to uh, glad to have you back on the on the show, my friend. Well, it's good to be back, and uh, you know, it's it's nice to see you guys. It's been a while, like you said, uh, and it's funny because uh, you know the whole lessons learned with Peter Gabriel there. Uh, in the time that we last spoke, he's now released a new record coming out now. Right? So, isn't that isn't that something? You know, and then <laughs> here's here's a guy who who takes forever to do records. You know, so it's it's interesting that uh he's you know, moving he's, faster than us. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it's it's interesting. Uh, Maybe we'll maybe we'll get a chance to even chat about that album and and you know the upcoming months when it gets out there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I've been just as busy and just as probably as guilty of not hooking up with you guys too because in that time that you know we haven't spoke with each other, you know, there's been a lot going on with me musically and a lot of stuff going on. Also, you know, personally, some stuff that got in the way with some stuff too, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I mean. Now it seems to be a good time to reconnect and uh, some good stuff happening on my end of things and hopefully on your end of things too. No, I was just going to say, um, uh, I routinely hear you on the Yes Music podcast. So I, 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 I know you're very active on there. And uh, yeah, you, you guys uh, have, have rarely taken a break. I, I think there may have been maybe three or four episodes in the entire last year without you at the most. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we've been fortunate that we've been having a lot of uh, interesting guests that we've been running into. Like Ken is very much uh, one of these guys who likes to dig deep for stuff, like especially when it relates to like the album Tomato or something like that as well. Yeah. Uh, he, he loves to dig in deep. Like, for example, one of the most interesting episodes I think we had was when we spoke to the guy who created the North drums, those kind of oddly shaped drums that you see in the Tormato tour that Alan White played, the kind of the curved bottoms of them there. They look like these weird horns on them. Right, and he right. was he was just so 
gung-ho to get in and talk to this guy about the creation of those. And then we talked to the guy who did the Biotron. And, you know, when we talked to uh, Brian Keswick, I can't remember his last name. I'm going to probably butcher that name. But uh, he was uh, one of the uh, engineers that worked on uh, Tormato. So he was actually there. So we got to talk to him about things like where what happened to the master tapes and all kinds of so i mean if you guys are interested in those kind of things you can always go back to those episodes and you know catch up on those things but we, we've been very lucky you know uh, in that sense because you know whenever steve howe was available to talk about stuff he talked with us and you know we've talked to jeff downs numerous times and you know right. we were lucky to talk to alan before he died as well so you know, it's been, it's been good. Fantastic. We, um, interviewed Joe Bailey without mm -hmm. you at one point, I think, um, uh, in May of 2021, uh, and we had a project Gemini episode with you in January of 2021. So let's talk about project Gemini and how the project has evolved since that interview. 2021 what album would that have been would that have been book two or would that have already been book three i believe it was book three so if it was book three then uh interestingly enough the, the thing that was one of the things that kind of i wouldn't say stressed me out but kind of things that caused a little bit of you know pressure on one end was the fact that i was waiting for the vinyl i mean it took forever for this vinyl to get done i mean i couldn't believe it i thought when he told me initially that you know yeah you know we're, we could be looking at you know, nine, maybe 10 months. I was like, yeah, you, you, you said that to me before. Like, you know, I, I, I completely blew it off. Like, you know, I'll probably get it in five months. No, this time he was actually correct. And it, it took a long time. I mean, I got the CDs like within three weeks of submitting the music and then the vinyl took forever to get to, to me. I mean, the, the, the funny thing about that is if you take a look at the back of the jacket of the vinyl, there's an error, like a grievous error on the back. Like it shows that there's three songs on side A and three songs on side B. And there's really four songs on side A and two songs on side B. And the reason why that happened is because when I was working on the artwork for it, uh, that was months after we had done the lacquer cut. And the guy who does my lacquer cutting convinced me to do it that way because he said it would sound better because of the way those songs were laid out. And I had totally forgotten that we had done that. It was such a huge gap between the artwork <laughs> and, and the lacquer cut. I totally forgot that we did that. So, but you know, every every artist has to have one misprint somewhere on their you know discography. That's what creates so. value, my friend. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Collector's <laughs> look items. At, look at Kiss <laughs> Alive too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So that uh, that happened there, and but the interesting thing was. Because of that, because of that long delay and, you know, me having to do these, doing, doing videos here and there, telling people what's going on. And so I really like keeping in touch with my supporters to let them know that, you know, I haven't forgotten about them and that, you know, they haven't sent me their money for no reason at all. You know what I mean? So while I was doing that, I quietly in the background started working on music because I was, I was getting sick of sitting here and not doing anything is I, I felt like I was kind of at a standstill because I kind of do that. Like I, once I get the record and I had the vinyl and I send it out, then I'll start working on the next thing, but I didn't want to wait that long anymore. So I started writing songs before I knew it. I had, you know, five songs. Then I had like six songs and I had this eight songs. All of a sudden I was like, okay, you know, let me, let me finish these songs up. So 
long story short, I ended up doing another record that's done now called uh, What Lies Beyond. And it comes out the April 21st, of, you know, this year. Uh, I'm really happy with it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting record. I think initially when people saw my little press release, I guess you can call it, that I put on Facebook about it, a few people were scratching their heads until they took a look at the track listing because I said, it's a four-song album. They're like, four songs? What is a short album? Like, no, no, no. Take a look at the length of the songs. Yeah. So if there's like one 14-and-a-half-minute song, one 11-minute song, you know, a five-minute song, and another six-minute, six-and-a-half-minute. So it's, it ends up being like a 40-some-odd-minute album regardless, right? Yep. Uh, and when I, when I did that, uh, I realized that I had quite a few songs left over this time, right? So I was like, I didn't want to leave them off. You know, so I've decided, of course, that I'm going to, you know, release one as a, you know, as, like, one of them came out as a single, obviously, but that's on the album as well. That's a Cyber Wonderland. But the other songs that are not on the album, one of them is a bonus track on the CD, which is called Brutal World. And the other songs that are not on the CD are going to appear as a bonus disc with the vinyl. Nice. So I liked, I liked that idea because I saw bands like, you know, uh, Yes to Dead with Quest. Uh, there was a couple of other bands that did that as well. I think, you know, it seems to be the case with some of these bands now that whenever they release it, like even when Steve Howe did his uh, album with uh, his with son who who passed away, uh, they on that album they did a bonus disc too, I believe. So it, I, I think it makes sense, and a lot of people were very happy with that because they they said they didn't they were hoping that it wouldn't leave off some of these songs off the record or have it not available for people to listen to. Indeed. So well, we had a preview and it's sounding pretty hot. So I, I, I have a lot of uh, production questions, as I always do. Mm -hmm. And plenty of uh, storyline questions, too. So, uh, Joe, I'll let you go. What, what, where were you headed? Oh, I, I was just headed, given the fact that you have this um, abundance of music and you've got, you know, four tracks for the vinyl version, five tracks for the CD version, and, and these extras. Was it difficult to decide which went where, or was that sort of obvious to you as these songs came together? Well, truth be told, I, I, I really enjoyed all of them. Like, when I sat down and listened to them all, you know, back to back to back, I was like, eh. for the first time, I, was, I listened to it, and I was like, wow, I really like all of these things. I mean... All, I like all my records. I, I don't think that there's one that I'm kind of cringeworthy on, you know, but there's always ones that, you know, you think that there's a song that's stronger than the other ones. Uh, the the four that are on the vinyl and the four that are on the CD, I knew immediately those ones were going to be on because I thought right away they all had something unique and different with each of them that I wanted to show on the record. Uh, Brutal World, the, the one that's on the CD, uh, that one I was kind of flip flopping with another one, so yeah, it, it was a little bit difficult to kind of select the songs from the leftovers. But that's why I decided to do the the bonus CD because I was like, rather than having to pull my hair out thinking of which ones to keep and which not to to use, I just said, why not just use them? And, I, and when I talked to Train Records about it, they they assured me that it wouldn't be a big gargantuan undertaking to do that to just do a simple CD pressing you know, 100 discs in a simple clear sleeve or something like that that I can just slip in with the vinyl, right? Train records. Are they Canadian or U.S.? Yes, they are. Okay, that, that, that's your usual. You've talked about them before. 
Yeah, I've done every record that I've done. Well, fantastic. Good endorsement. First, the drums, Mark. You mm. must have so much fun doing your drum fills. I, I was kind <laughs> of over the moon with some of the drum program. Joe, I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but they sound they sound pretty happening, like unchanged compared to some of the... Yeah, it really does. Uh, which I like. So, so I enjoyed the hell out of that. Did, did you, did, are, are you still uh, using the same technique or had any secrets there? Any, any triggers or pads or anything we should know about? Uh, I'm still doing the same thing. Of course, the, the great thing about using this program, the, the, the easy drummer and stuff like that, is that they have numerous MIDI packs that you can buy, like, you know, LA... LA session drummer pack volume one or you know uh, mm -hmm. you know Swedish Swedish death metal <laughs> MIDI and of course I'm not physically drumming it but I'm the one who writes them all and they're, they're always kind of like really that's not real drums I go no 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 it is real drums because the whole thing with easy drummer is they're actually recorded in a yep. real studio if you go to the easy drummer site they show you like all these packs that they do and where they record them and, you know, yep. they get all kinds of drummers, like Joe Tempesta and all these other guys to come in and they drum. And then what they just do is they get the guy afterwards to do a series of different patterns. They say, okay, give me five different uh, verse ideas on drums. So they'll do one with, you know, a hi-hat, one with a slightly more open hi-hat, and maybe one with a ride cymbal instead. So they do all these different kind of patterns. And then they do like, you know, 66 fills for each thing. You right. Know, do it. So, now the thing with that is, you know, you have a lot to choose from for for fills. But after a while, you'd be surprised. You start thinking, okay, well, I've used this fill before. I remember hearing this fill before. So the great thing with it is that because of the way the 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 sort of uh, application is made, you can go in and edit stuff. So I can go in and use like the first two bars of this fill, grab the last two bars of this other fill. Right. And suddenly I made a completely different drum fill out of it, right? Yep, yep. And it's worked beautifully. Like, I'm so happy with the drums on this. And, you know, I, I tend to go back to certain drum kits. Like, I'm really happy with the sort of Tama drum sets from, like, the 2000 era that they have on one of the packs. And uh, I really love using, like, the Ludwig Black Beauty snare drums. Or I like using the... Uh, the sonar bronze one. That's a, that's a big trick. The, the, the bronze snare drums cut through so nice. I highly recommend that if you can use a sample of a bronze bronze snare drum, it's it's fantastic. Right, and and you're not just talking about the color. It's the actual metal. Yeah, the metal. Uh, yeah, the finish. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that they have like two or three different kinds of steels and the bronze is very and, the, and the bell brass like the bell brass snares are one of the ones i use in a couple of the songs and if people who are you know audio geeks and recording geeks like we are might know that lars ulrich used the bell, bell brass for the black album that's the sound of that album is a bell brass snare mm. okay Lars is on both sides of the fence. Some, sometimes he's the perfect guy, and sometimes he just takes the beating for for for, <laughs> yeah. for, 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 for being lackadaisical. But but yeah 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 yeah. In terms of sound, yeah, that would be peak Lars sound probably. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. And the bass. I feel like you upped your game in the bass uh, production zone as well. But I, I couldn't put my finger on 
exactly what? Is it a new instrument or, or something, new treatment? Well, what it is, is the last couple of records, I've relied on a lot of other people to do bass. I mean, book two, uh, I played bass on one song, I believe it was. And then we had, you know, Billy Shearwood. We had uh, uh, Joe. Joe Bailey. We had D David Donnelly. We had, uh, a key, I always, Lee Pomeroy. There you go. Lee, Lee Pomeroy. Lee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, played on one. So, you know, and that was fantastic. I, I thoroughly enjoyed having to, you know, letting myself sit out on that and letting somebody else come in and do bass on that. And then in book two, I did a couple more, uh, more songs than normally I would have done. And Joe did a few as well. But I decided on this album right off the bat that I didn't want to have anybody else involved in it this time. I wanted to do it all myself, hearkening back to like my first two albums, you know, like Ordinary Day and Brand New Day, where I did everything by myself. So I pulled out my Ibanez SR400 based make sure that you know my battery was fresh and new in there because if you don't have a nice new battery not the active electronics right. and that don't work as well i did one thing that i did a bit different this time is i decided to just grab this really nice active di that i have a lot of the times i find that i do a bass that's very you know low-end heavy and stuff like that and sometimes i have to tweak it a bit to get it to stick out more this time I tended to go for a little bit more of a nor upper mid-range sound, where if you solo it, it's kind of like, wow, that doesn't have a whole lot of low end on it. But it, it didn't really matter because once you you know start mixing and you add a little low end here and there, it, it'll pop out. And plus, I used a lot more low end, like Taurus Moog bass pedal stuff on this album than mm -hmm. I did before. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of that low end a la Genesis or a la Rush and stuff like that. Right. So I didn't need to worry so much about the low, low, low end because that was there this time. And then I could do the bass with that tone. And I was able to do more <clears throat> melodic lines that kind of stuck out more because you could hear them now in that with that tone. Oh, fair enough. So it seems to be you're, you're tapping into a little bit of your Squire and your Getty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, too, one of the things that I d discovered that was that was a great trick that a lot of engineers do is uh i took my bass track that i had and i duplicated it you know which is easy to do in pro tools and the one duplicated track i would compress a lot heavier and i would distort it like you if you had heard it it sounded like lemmy it's like, like it was like a really unbelievably obnoxious sounding but when you pull it down in volume and kind of blend it nicely it sounds really, it sounds like Chris Squire. It almost sounds like, like his kind of like growly bass that he has from the Rickenbacker. And, there, and that's, that's the trick. Duplicate your bass track, put some bass onto it. Uh, I'm sorry, put some distortion onto it. Cut out the bass on that one, like completely trim it out, right? So you don't get overflown with, you know, low end. Right, and right. It's, it sounds, and it sounds great. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Right, you want harmonic distortion in a range that doesn't freak out the needle on the vinyl. You don't want you, yeah. you don't want to yeah bounce the shit out of your record. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, cool. That that that's what was uh, burning up uh, when I was listening to it. The drums and the bass vibe, and mm. and 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 there's a lot of value to um, what you did in book two with, with the different sounds and the variety. Um, but but I, I I guess you're going for something that's that's 
self-contained. Yeah. I think it gave you um, kind of more license to succeed because you couldn't fall back on anyone else and, and you uh, uh, went down that path. So that's, that's pretty often. Okay, so, so uh, should we hit the tracks in order, Joe, per our formula? Yeah, we can we can certainly do that if if you're willing to go through that, Mark. One quick thing before we go there, though, one of the things that kind of I, I was listening to this through a you know a specific lens, and when we first you know met you and started talking to you about you know the earlier Project Gemini stuff, I I found it interesting that we were talking about what I would call you know your external influences, you know where you could mm-hmm. hear certain other groups that we all know and love growing up but i was having fun kind of listening to this and trying to see where your what i will now call internal influences were sort of starting to to show up on on project gemini and and specifically i mean working you know with joe bailey in project gemini on the dark monarchy on his own stuff uh, and you know some of these other people that you've worked with recently was any of that sort of apparent to you when you were doing this um joe i think has definitely influenced me in some ways i mean the, the truth be told joe does make an appearance on this record not in terms of playing an instrument but on three of the songs there is orchestration stuff on here like symphony stuff. And that's old Joe. Right. Joe did all the programming and all the, the the writing and the creating of it. Like there's some pretty grandiose pieces. Like we're talking like, you know, all kinds of brass and violins and violas and all kinds of stuff in there. And that's that's totally Joe. And that's one of the things I love that he does and I wanted him to bring to the table for this because I wanted to add a little bit of that element to this because of some of the messages that I wanted to put across on this album lyrically, I thought it helped a bit having that sort of grandiose sound with it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, influenced by music. Uh, and also, you know, there's been other bands that are kind of really impacted me over the last couple of years uh, and are starting to creep in. I find a little bit more in my writing i find like i'm really big on merlin you know I've, i have been for a long time but i've been really more into the whole hogarth era mm. of of uh, yeah. I i'm big on you know season's end i really like holiday and needing and uh you know even like merlin.com that album i've really really loved those records mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mer- merlin.com has a has a very colorful history here in the palaver so we're we're with oh, you okay. Okay, I'll have to look into that one time. Uh, go to that episode and see what, what what's going on with that. Uh, but I I find that you know that that stuff has impacted me a bit. You know, as far as like I like Rothery's guitar playing and a lot of it. I love his soloing. Uh, it's really cool and that. Uh, you know, Genesis of course has been a big influence on me. It's always showed up. I think Rush has always showed up. You know, but but I love Zappa a lot. You know. And while I've not, I don't have anything that's was wildly odd. Like I don't, you know, talk about pancake houses or eating yellow snow or anything like that. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, musically, I, I love what he does. And you know, what I've always admired about him is that he he doesn't sit there right apart and then go, hmm, what do people think of this? He doesn't give a shit. He just does it, and however it turns out, he does it. So I admire that. And maybe you know, in future records, I might be able to branch out and 
put something on a record that I would have normally said, there's no way in hell I would let that go on a record, you know? How about your literary and movie influences? Can you just target, you know, like two or three just huge influences on you as you're crafting your storylines? Literary, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. I mean, I, even from youth, it doesn't have to be, you know, something that you're currently reading. But, you know, what, what, what do you think shaped your storylines? Well, for, for, for this album, I think it, it's, it's kind of obvious some of it and maybe some of it isn't. I always, the funny thing is every time I do a, an album, I always think that my lyrics are so easy to read. And I always end up finding that people don't see what I come up with. And I, and I don't mind that. I, I always love the fact that people have their own interpretations of my songs. I think it's fantastic that they do that. But it always surprises me. Like, for example, Cyber Wonderland, the, the, the first song on the album. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that came from me reading an article in, in National Geographic not long ago. And also, in a sci there's a sci-fi magazine that I really love reading at my local bookstore. And uh, it was about AI technology, how it affects the youth, and what the dangers of it could be in the future. Being that a lot of people now are having, you know, like mental health problems are creeping up more and more uh, in the world now. You know, the COVID thing really brought out that in a lot of people, you know, a lot of fears and paranoia about things. And people looked for an escape. And a lot of people looked through it video games and AI stuff. And now you can get these kind of goggles where you can put on, you can get yourself into a totally different world outside of the one that you're in. And that could be dangerous sometimes because I, in that article that I read, there, there were stories of, you know, young kids who were staying in their rooms 15, 16 hours a day. Some kids were using two and two liter bottles of Coke to piss in that were empty because they didn't want to leave their room. Oh my God. Right. Yeah, because right. they didn't want to leave the room because they were online and playing constantly and didn't want to escape from that world that they were in. And that could that can be dangerous because in that little, I don't know if you guys caught my little video clips that I made to promote this record, but I did a little short one for Cyber Wonderland. And I said in there that when medicine no longer helps, where do we turn? And I said the Cyber Wonderland, right? Mm -hmm. So. I, I, and I find that that's, that's, it's very possible that, I, that that happens, you know. And see, on this album, I, didn't, I don't like records that, that are preachy or political. And I didn't want this record to sound that way. I'm kind of looking at this record as being messages or warnings about things that could happen. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, wave the finger at anybody. I'm just saying that this is what I'm aware of. This is what I think is happening. If I'm right then so be it. If, if I'm wrong, great, you know, but I'm kind of trying to put out, uh, you know, messages, you know? Well, I mean, we've already reached that point, so I don't even think it's, it's, it's controversial. I, I, I think it, yeah. it, it, it's a given that we have uh, a generation or two that have much less interaction with the tangible world and uh, they're, they're suffering, I bet. That, I'm, so, I'm so glad you were willing to go there and willing to uh, put it out there. We've talked about the, the very first track, and I, I just dig it. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Joe? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying sort of the, um, 
the actual genesis of the the cyber wonderland um cuz mm-hmm. I, I think i think the way you explained it was way more poignant than maybe what i was thinking in my head which is great it's like <laughs> awesome <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like that a lot, and and honestly, all of these songs really it it was amazing. So Cyber Wonderland, you know, I thought I knew what I was dealing with. Cool, great, very much enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And then when I went into the Angels Scream, and and really what I'm getting at is each one of these songs felt like it was sort of amping up the emotional ladder um, mm-hmm. until obviously we get to I'm Free, which completely you know reset my my register a whole lot but but saying that so when the angel scream came on and i got into that um and, and this was you know the first of of the uh the the long form songs if we can call it that so this is your your 14 and a half minute monster mm-hmm. it, it, are we good going into this at this point yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we just did here on the palaver um an episode where we we ranked yes epic songs because we wanted something fun to do and we thought that would be a blast when when you as an artist sit down like did you in your brain did you say the angel scream needs to be this 14 minute mammoth beast because i've got all this stuff to say or did it just sort of develop that way like as, as an artist what how do you wind up at an epic you know, a song of this length, is it, is it a target you shoot for, or is it something that manifests from the experience you're having? And dare I say the Kersner principle, which is if it's cooking, let it cook. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. Uh, because I never, when I wrote this song, I never went into it when I, where I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to start the song. It's going to be 15 minutes long. That, that never entered my mind at all. I started writing it. I got to about five minutes in and I was like, okay, I have another great idea that came to mind. And really this, this, this is the one benefit I had of doing this record the way I did, where I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I didn't give myself a deadline to it because nobody knew I was working on it. So I could always return back to it with no pressure on me and say, Hmm, what's this, does this song need anything more? And it just, I just kept coming up with these little ideas and these little pieces that that worked so well within the structure of it. Like one thing I don't like is when there's not a flow, a, a noticeable flow to it. When I always like to have that in my songs. And I think it really goes from piece to piece to piece to piece very smoothly. It doesn't, to me at all, sound like it's very, there's no abrupt, like, whoa, what the hell happened there? Right. And, and everything seems like it, it has a good flow to it. All the lyrics of it came afterwards on all the songs. None of these songs, I had any lyrical idea of what I was going to do. But when I was done listening to the song, when it was done musically, and you know, whether it was, you know, guitar, drums, and bass only, or whether it was guitar, bass, and keyboards, I started started getting ideas. <clears throat> my, my musical, like the lyrical end of this album was very much influenced by uh, television and written media news, like magazines, newspapers, and mm-hmm. television was definitely a big thing. And for this song, The Angels Scream, it was directly influenced by the Ukraine thing 
Sure. And it was, and, and the the big thing with that is that uh, having somebody in my family who has gone through something similar, my mom, who lived through the invasion of Czechoslovakia when Russia came in, okay, when the Ukraine thing started happening, my mom's reaction to it was very was very startling to me because she kind of gave me this look like I know what's going to be what's going on here. You know what I mean? Right. She knows what was going to come, even at the earliest stage of it. That kind of hit me, you know. And I, th- you know, I talked to her a bit about it and what my mom and dad did when that happened, and how they escaped from the country and got the hell out of there before it got worse, right? Sure. And you know, the whole angel scream thing. The title of it came from when I watched one of these uh, news news broadcasts, and you see some of the mothers and the children screaming from you know being in these wrecked buildings you know the angel scream i mean the, the, these kids you know are you know they are they are to to pair to our to us parents they are our angels right and to hear them screaming in pain in, in, in a building i thought was something that was a strong message to put out and i mean if you look at a lot of the lyrics within that song you know i i'm not trying to point a finger you know, obviously, I have my own opinions on what's right and wrong in this war. Obviously, and uh, but I mean, there, it's. I think I. That's that's the funny thing. I, I think that it's very clear. Like the one line in the verse where I say, "A madman on his throne, he's laughing endlessly." I mean, that to me definitely refers to Putin. Sure. Right. So, and I mean, how many people would have picked up on that? I don't know. Maybe everybody would pick up on it. I don't know. But I'm just. I wouldn't be surprised if not everybody did. You know, and. Uh, you know, like the, there was also a line in there too where I said uh, the children play in the broken pl- playgrounds and the parents prey on the broken church grounds. Oh, right? I loved that line. That one, like even on my first listen through, that one kind of leapt out and grabbed me 100%. That was a great piece of writing right there. I think that it's very important, I think, if you're going to do something like this where you have to give imagery to the words you know like they people need to understand what you're trying to get the message across with now whether you know it, it could be it could have been attached to many other things it could have been attached to let's say an earthquake in california or something like that you know it doesn't have to be about the ukraine thing but the, the message would still be the same you know the the sort of you know where the the innocence of children where they would still be able to find some fun in playing in a playground even if it is broken and then the parents you know going to a church to trying to find solace even if it is destroyed yep absolutely and and i love the fact that you've got a you know as you pointed out a, a very personal perspective on this that maybe a lot of people here in north america wouldn't have which is is very different that that is the one thing i guess having the advantage of having parents that came from that neck of the woods and from Europe. Right. Um, and especially from that time period, you right. know, it, it definitely adds to it because, you know, when you hear a story from TV, it's one thing. And if you see a documentary, it's one thing because, you know, sometimes these people can create, well, not create, but shape things to suit their storytelling. Mm, right. Sure. Whereas, you know, when I'm talking to my mom and dad, they were there. They were they lived through it. Even my uncle Frank, you know, he, he was there. He was in the military when this happened and he got the hell out of there too, because you know, it it it, it got bad, like really bad, you know, when the tanks started rolling in. So to to have that perspective 
is was very helpful you know i mean i've always told people that when you when you travel i think is one of the most important things that a young person should do in their life travel travel because when you hear things on the news and you see things on the news you never get the full picture i'll never forget when i went to greece when i was on tour with one of my bands uh, you know the, the things that you learn about the people and how they are it was is totally different than what i thought when I, when I, before I went there, you know what I mean? Yeah. So traveling is very important. And like when I went to Italy as well, I never realized that when I went to Italy, the, the opinion of the Italian people on certain people in the world. Like I remember one of the guys told me when I first landed in Italy, they said, Oh, you have a Canadian shirt on? That's great because Italian people love can Canadians. So if you have anything that has an American flag on it, take it off because they're very against it's American people in Italy. And I was like, wow, I, I, I had no idea of that. You know, like that, that opinion was like that, you know? It's an eye-opening perspective and it can be shocking to, you know, people who grow up maybe in an insulated culture, like, you know, again, we can sometimes have here in North America. So mm -hmm. very, very cool. Can anything you've got on the angel screen or shall we move on to uh, seed and soil? My goodness, how does the angels scream and now I'm, oh, 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 don't tell us, don't tell us. Ah. Um, the lords of seed and soil, I mean, is this what we are left to in the age of factory farming where, where uh, uh, nothing is natural and everything is, is some kind of uh, chemical concoction and, and we're uh, paying the lords for what it is that we subsist on? I, I wasn't exactly sure what to make of, of seed and soil. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting that you said that. See, this is what I love about these kind of discussions because I am curious to see or to hear what you guys think the lyrics are about. And that's that's a very interesting way to look at it. And it's not totally far off, but I'll tell you how I wrote this. Over here in Ontario, there's been a lot of heated debate about our greenlands here. Now, our, our premier here, one of his platforms that he, that he uh, you know, hold on or, or, or ran in his campaign on is that I will not affect our Greenland spaces. I will not do anything with them. You know, I know it's very, very uh, important to Ontario people because, you know, we have a lot of great parklands and we have a lot of great forests and stuff like that. Ontario is huge. And, and we, you know, some of the most beautiful places you'll see in Ontario are in these kind of areas. And, you know, lo and behold, months after he's in office, it hits the news. Premier decides to, you know, knock down thousands of acres of Greenland to build homes and housing. You know, and people are like, what the hell, man? What the hell? Like, you just said before that you weren't going to do this. And more importantly, he was going to be trying to squeeze out farmers and farmland. And that, to me, is not cool because, you know... The more I've always said this, the more you build homes, the less farmland you have when you when you've when you've housed everybody and you have nothing to feed them with. What good is the housing? You know, <laughs> yeah, the, that's the thing that's always, you know, annoyed me with this is that and, and a lot of the people that are involved in farming, that's one of the opening lines, you know, 30 years I've lived here all my life kind of bit like how I put at the beginning there. Farming is a very passed on from generation to generation, okay? And farming is not an easy thing to do, from what I understand. More and 
and it, it's a skill that's passed down from father to son or from father to daughter. And if you knock these people out of their lands and you take away these lands, number one, we're going to have less food growth. Okay. Number two, if it ever gets to the point years and years later where, oh, we made a serious mistake, we're going to knock down these things and try to replenish the land and get it back and rolling again. If you got rid of these generations of people that should have been doing it now, you're going to have trouble again because now who know, has the experience of growing on the land? You can't just grab a bunch of people and say, okay, just dump some seeds here and just hope for the best. Right. Uh -huh. You know, there, there's, a, there's an art to it, you know. There's a reason why people plow a certain way or they, they you know, they, they, they plant at certain times or they water at certain times or they, you know, there's, there's always a, a certain art form to it. So the, the seed and soil thing is that the, the farmers to me are the lords of seed and soil. They're the ones that know how to get, keep these, you know, lands going to keep us, you know, fed. And, and I've always, and that's the thing I don't understand with these guys. Sure. You can house 10,000 people in this area, but why would you do it in these areas that are so vital for sustaining people in general? You know, it just makes no sense at all. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, growing up, obviously, in the U.S., and we've been hearing about the, you know, the, the plight of the American farmer for decades, right, Ken, at this point? Mm -hmm. um, but I right. don't know that I've ever heard anyone, and, and maybe, maybe it's just I haven't remembered it but I, I don't recall anyone ever bringing up the the sort of institutional knowledge lost when you remove the generational aspect of farming i think that's that's a really cool and uh and innovative sort of uh, aspect to this so nice work mark you know because i mean that's the thing I, I was thinking about that as well like another thing that's a big problem here in ontario is that we have probably the oldest uh populace right now like the, the the largest amount of our population in ontario are over 60 it's like incredible like we have a, such a huge amount of seniors here like you hear on the radio and stuff like that ads all the time saying come and learn a skilled trade we'll even we'll even finance it for you like, this is the government talking we need skilled labor because everybody's retiring all these people that know how to do all these really intricate things like mold making and all these kinds of different things that that you need for certain things like we you know for whether it's building cars or making houses or something you know these kind of skills are being lost because these people who know them well are retiring ontario needs a serious injection of you know babies like right. it's unbelievable like we need we need young people you know because it's there's going to be a huge gap in it so that that's another thing you know uh, well, all right. Um, you've got me started. I mean, just ju just the fact that as Prague Rock fans, mm -hmm. we have aspired to do what was done previously by Genesis Rush. Yes, we've been in the shadow of that generation for so long, and they've dominated the... Uh, you know, the markets, the means of distribution, uh, advertising, the everything. And now that they're mm -hmm. slowing down, doing less, we're fumbling around like, oh, yeah, we got the keys. No, we're driving. But we don't know <laughs> jack shit, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean. Well, <laughs> well I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, the, the, the difference, though, I think has to do with time. I mean, back in the 70s when Genesis and all these bands were coming up, you know, they had people like Ahmet Erdogan 
at these guys who are like, you know, write your uh, records, I'll put the money behind it, and, you know, we'll make sure that people hear it. Now, record companies, you know, we had that huge downfall of record labels where they went completely tits up, yep. and now it's it's like you have to rethink the whole strategy all over again everybody's going to the internet to do things and that's great because you know there's a big reach now for it but the money is just not there now now you have to start getting inventive and creative on your own end of how do i get my things in front of millions of ears and eyes because back then when ahmed said okay genesis is coming out okay production people promotion people here's a million and a half dollars boom hit every magazine hit every radio ad and everything i want to hear genesis on every radio station every hour and a half you know you know what i mean and they could do that you know what i mean because they had the power now unless you know unless i won the lotto and won like 60 million dollars canadian i couldn't help to do that you know what i mean right right but right. if i had that money i could go and say okay here here's fifty thousand bucks i want you to get me on every radio thing that or or you know online radio thing that's available for the next two months you know what i mean it's yeah yeah that's yeah. the thing that kind of has changed you know the um uh amit ernigan uh tony smith in the genesis camp mm -hmm. uh larry maggot in the philadelphia uh uh u.s market there were there were people all through the distribution chain who, oh, yeah. are, na who are now legends uh my god okay so so um, thank you for sharing seed and soil. That's 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 kind of chilling and sad. Thank you for for relaying that. Um, this takes us to track number four, which mm -hmm. is the second longest epic. I'm free, and I want to know who Alice is. Well, Alice, Alice could be anybody, and I'll explain that. This song is written, and this might sound kind of cliche, but. It's sort of a COVID song, and I'll explain this a little bit more in detail, because I, throughout the time that this was, you know, in everybody's minds, front and center, uh, there were two camps. One that were like, they're totally overblowing this. It's not as bad as it sounds like. And then there's the other people that took it very seriously, right? Now, I have experienced both ends of it where I have members of my family that thought we were going too crazy. That's not as bad as it is. I'm not wearing a mask, blah, 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 blah. And then I had friends that took it seriously. And a couple of them actually ended up getting COVID. And uh, one of them, and I don't want to say his name on here just for protection reason, but sure. I, he, he got really sick to the point where he was hospitalized twice mm. and I almost lost them. Okay. Mm. So that kind of thing gives you a total new perspective on it and has caused quite a few arguments within my family because of that, because I'm like, you can't tell me this is not serious because I've almost had a few friends die from this. Right. And, you know, Alice, you know, is one of the people in the story that took it seriously. And I'm almost apologizing to her for not taking it seriously. You know what I mean? Hello, Alice, I'm writing you this letter. I cannot take this pain anymore because it, it ended up being such a big divide between them that they split. Right. And then the split in it caused so much heartbreak in it that the person decided that he couldn't live without this person. Now the, the, the not wanting to live without the person could be taken in a few ways, the split just from, you know, in the relationship or a split because the person passed. 
away, mm -hmm. right? So this whole song is kind of looking at it from that perspective, you know, the 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 apology for not seeing in their way or not understanding their you know their strong belief in it, whether that whether them not believing in it or supporting them in it led to a split in relations or led to you know something disastrous happening because maybe him not believing in it forced her to say yeah maybe i'm maybe i'm not maybe i should look at it his way maybe i am overreacting and maybe she got sick and she passed away and uh, the guilt that that person could have felt afterwards knowing that maybe what he said to that person led to that downfall you know it's a little bit creepy and a bit morbid and a bit on the negative end of things but i'm telling you i'm right i wrote these songs because it's all things that have that have affected me and I've experienced myself. Sure, you know, I, I'm I'm chilled. Thank, thanks for that. Uh, having heard the song several times and, uh, and trying to piece together that story, um, I believe the character dies. Um, mm -hmm. But you, you do you do say there is a bit of a dual meaning there. Yeah. Um, and 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 it, it is is the male protagonist as it were he's he's kind of vindicated or at least freed i mean that's the title of the song mm -hmm. he he's he, he's genuinely free there, there is no irony there he, yeah. he does he does learn to let go oh he learns to let go in a few ways because if you listen to the lyrics you know in the one verse or in the one of the parts there he goes uh he, I'm trying to remember the exact lyrics, but in in the part, there's a part in the song where he says, uh, he he talks about uh, getting uh, some pills and some drink, and his dreams will come true. Yeah. So the pills and drink are kind of like, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm just gonna, I'll just overdose myself, and I'll be with her again. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm free. Got it. You know, I'm with her now again, right? Yeah, it's, you know, so we've, you know, I've, Ken and I have only had this, you know, for a relatively short amount of time, obviously, not enough time to really immerse oneself yeah, yeah. In, into these lyrics. But, but Ken, I had a very similar experience to you. And, and I mentioned when we started into this, like, for me, as I was listening through this, you know, the, the sort of emotional impact of these songs grew one on top of the other until I'm free, it... it it really just almost ran over me like a bus um, with with the way that that you communicated that through these lyrics. Now, I like I said, I haven't spent enough time to really uh, explore the the sort of choose your own adventure aspect of it. But but mm -hmm. the the initial sort of reaction I had to the the words and the music was exceptionally powerful. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad that we sort of got here and, and got to explore this a little bit. And quite frankly, I'm glad that this is, in, you know, a, in certain aspects, a, a story, if you will, a fictional telling, um, a, a cautionary tale. Um, I was honestly afraid that, you know, this was something much more personal for you, Mark, based on the way that I felt the emotion <laughs> coming off this song. Well, like I said, it, those those things that happened were were true. Like like I said, my friend did get deathly sick from it. So those 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 events did 
influence the lyrical end of it, right? <laughs> so, and especially where, uh, how do I write this song where I can kind of represent a few of the different views of it, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, and, and I think that's great, right? The fact that you're open-minded enough to recognize there are different perspectives on this and you've experienced that in your own life and how do you how do you sort of respect both of those while still getting the message across that that is fundamental i you know well done thank you the lyrical end of things are one of the things that i think i've really tried to step up you know the last couple of records i mean you know, when you write a, a three album story, like book one, book two, book three, you know, you're, you have the, adva- the advantage of, you know, you know how the story starts and you can kind of, you have a guideline to kind right. of run through for the rest of it. Right. Uh, but, you know, when you write a record like this, where every song is kind of its own story within itself, like that, each song is a story, you have to be able to clearly or try to clearly get a message across in that time period. That's also why... I think having a 14-minute song had its advantage because I was able to tell more of it than I could if it was a four-minute song. That's true. I, and, and I guess it's something I hadn't... I I'd thought about this before we got into it, but we got so deep into the record so quick. Was this cathartic for you to do a non-conceptualized, you know, part of a larger story album? It, or, or was it... Was it something you felt you needed to do to sort of, you know, go in a slightly different direction again? Uh, or, or was it just, it just naturally occurred? And- I, I, can, I can easily answer that. It's something I felt I had to do. Why? Because I think, not because I was sick of doing a story concept thing, that, that's far from it. I oh, really yeah. enjoyed doing those three books. But I was getting frustrated with, the, with, the, with what I was hearing on the news and what I was reading and when you have that frustration built in it, built into you, you can either try to keep it in you and kind of keep it under control, or you have to release it somehow. And I think writing the lyrics and singing, and more importantly, I think helped relieve some of that because I think honestly, I mean, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not I would never put myself as a as a vocalist in you know the the brackets of a jeff tate or something like that but honestly i think that i've i've improved my singing quite a bit i think on this album and i think oh, because of the message that i've sang on this and the the some of the personal you know feelings that i had for these topics helped get it across because i think my vibrato for example has really improved on my vocals i never really had that strong a one before and now it's starting to come to especially on like for example the opening of i am free that whole hello alice bit i thought that was very risky for me to do as a singer i've never done something like that where it was just so bare bones musically and sing over top of that you know and, and we've talked about the the growth of you as a vocalist um you know over the last several projects that you've done um either with or without joe bailey and and what what kind of struck me you know, in listening to this record was, again, more progression in in that regard. But I was struck with, uh, I felt a certain sense of confidence in your vocals. Um, that, That seemed, you know, not that you haven't been, you know, you've been growing in confidence, but this performance seemed fundamentally confident to me. 
Yeah. And you know what? I think you are 100% correct. Because th this is one of the rare times where when I came up with a lyric and I got excited about it, I ran down here, grabbed my mic, put it up, and had no... Uh, I wasn't nervous about... You know, is my next door neighbor going to hear me singing through the walls here? I don't know. Should I should I should I, should I sing this loud? You know, you know what I mean. Like you had those little yeah. hesitations when you're not a confident singer, right? Oh, and I know. Trust those, me. Those, those <laughs> things are <laughs> those things are gone now. I mean, now I can come here and I'll I'll belt it out and blast it out as much as I need to or want to. And another thing that I've done that the very first time I did it, I was like, "Ooh, do I like doing that? I don't know if I like that." Is falsetto singing and because when I, I remember one of my earliest lessons i learned and i have to thank one of my earliest mentors this guy named archie hashi he was a guy who ran the studio in brampton and he took me in for a co-op and i did sound engineering and production through him and he worked on a couple of big records like frozen ghost and these other bands in oh, canada yeah. yeah and uh he told me when we when he was doing this he was doing this session and they were doing backing vocals and he went in and was helping to do it and they needed this harmony part and they couldn't sing it in full voice and he went in there and he's just started doing hey, like a really falsetto singing i was looking looking look at him like wow like that's that sounds ridiculous but he but he came back after and he looked at me and he goes yeah it, it might sound ridiculous but if you know how to mix it in properly it could be the thing that the song needs and then the kind that has always hit me when he said that is that don't be afraid to do something that a song needs. And, you know, when I sing falsetto, it sounds, it sounds funny, just like when anybody does it. I mean, the only, the, there's a few people who can sing falsetto good. Like, you know, Bono is not too bad at singing falsetto. You know, I mean, I, Paul Stanley even got away with it slightly on records. Okay. But, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's, Everybody knows that if you can do it in full voice, do it in full voice. But you know what? I, and I totally agree with this. If I want that high part, I'll sing it in falsetto because I know I can I can place it in the mix of it where it doesn't sound ridiculous. And right. you'd be surprised how many vocalists do that on their records. Cool. Well, I mean, Chris, Chris Squire always had that brilliant head voice where if he needed yeah. falsetto, he'd go there and if he, he uh, uh, and yeah, he was just fearless, but he he was also trained from a child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I particularly like the, the the connection where if you're emotional about a song, it makes the vocals that much more uh, natural, contiguous, and, and spontaneous. Like yeah, that. exactly. I mean, look, there's one thing that I remember Getty Lee saying once is that when people ask him, is, is it difficult for you to sing Neil Peart's lyrics? And he says, it's not difficult to sing it, but he's, and this is, this is the line that always caught me. He goes, but it's easier for me to sing it if I can have a connection to the words. And right. that's the thing that's the big thing. Because if he writes something that he doesn't relate to or something that he just doesn't understand what the hell he's trying to talk about, you know, then, then it'll sound like that when you sing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, which is very interesting because in, back in the day when they did all those kind of Tolkienist, Tolkien type stuff like back in Crest of Steel and that, you know, they must have been really big on those books because, you know, to, to, to sing it with that much conviction, you know, about Mordor and all these, you know, 
mountains, and, you know, the adventures of Gandalf and the boys, you know, I mean, not that they went specific to that, but, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff, you know, you got to be really into it to sing with conviction on that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. I love it. Cool. Let, let, let's get us into your bonus track, Brutal World. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'd say the four previous tracks were were brutal enough, especially on Joe's <laughs> psyche here. But um, <laughs> 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 but you wanted but you wanted to give us one last uh, throat punch here. So br- brutal world, take us where this came from. Uh, brutal world is a little bit more of a generalization of what I think is just going on in the in the world. I mean, the, the opening line. Have you seen? Have you heard the news today? It's it's everywhere. You know, uh, what's that one line? Uh, uh, I talk about like murder and crime, and uh, you know all the different kinds of crimes that are flooding the news waves. You know, and it's those kind of things that I just don't understand why there isn't more done about it. You know, and it, it just seems like. You know, as time passes, I mean, back when I was younger, at least here in Canada, we never heard as much about murders on TV, on the, on our news programming as we do now. It, it, it has fundamentally grown leaps and bounds here, you know. And I understand that people will say, well, it's because, don't forget, Toronto has grown also in the last 10, 15 years. And with growth, that will usually come. And whenever I hear that, that kind of theory, it, it always saddens me. Why? Right. Why does it have to grow? Because there's more people here. So you're telling me that we're that still that caveman-ish, that the more people that are around us, we must attack, you know, and hit each other with bats. And, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, why do we revert back to that sort of mentality when there's more of us around? I I just, the, the whole brutal world thing is a little bit more of a generalized look on the world around you know, myself, and I'm sure in other places in the world too. I mean, some people might say that, you know, you know, wah, wah, you know, you're complaining there in Canada, live in Sierra Leone or something, you know. Okay, and I, I can understand it. it's probably worse there. There's maybe other places in the world, but that's my point, you know. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, you know, old hands and sing Kumbaya either, but, you know, it would be nicer if we could, you know, try to see things on a more peaceful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. plane of thought you know what i mean you know i mean I, you don't you don't have to love everybody but you don't have to hate everybody either it's very convenient for some that we don't have to get to the source of of, of what it is that uh i mean that incubates human beings that grow up to be murderers i mean i mean i don't think they want to let's put it that way yeah yeah, like the one line in there that was the one that kind of, uh, I remember one of my friends was kind of struck by it was I put in there and said, uh, the neighborhoods hold pistol, the no, the neighborhood parks hold pistol parties. And he's like, what does that mean? I go, pistol parties. No, they, people go, people go in the park at night with handguns and we're shooting up each other, you know, like gangs, you know, this gang stuff, right? So it, 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 these are the things that I keep hearing about on TV and stuff like that. And, and like I said, this record is very much being one of those records where I wanted to just put out there the things that have been affecting me or, 
you know, bothering me or things that I think that we, we should be, be a little bit more aware of and maybe, you know, give us give a second thought to, you know. All right. Now I'm terrified. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mark, the one thing that we haven't talked about in this whole conversation this evening, or at least we haven't talked about yet, is the the artwork, which mm -hmm. obviously every time we talk about a project, Gemini, uh, you know, um, album, we, we go into the artwork. So, you know, the we we've heard from you what the impetus for these songs were. So how did that translate into this mm -hmm. this album art that we're going to see here? Well, see, the interesting thing with this is that I have this agreement with uh, James McCarthy, who's the guy who does my artwork. James McCarthy is my Roger Dean. I've said that on record numerous yep. times, and I've said a hundred times that I cannot imagine a Project Gemini album ever being released without his artwork done on it. That, that to me, is kind of written in stone from here on in. Um, now, with this record, just like the last couple of ones, or pretty much all of them since the beginning, I've only ever given him a title and said, you do what you want to do. I've given him no direction in it, no, you know, previous, any no lyrics, no nothing. So, oh, really? So, so this yeah. album cover comes with from nothing but the title in his brain. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Oh. And and it and it kind of struck me when I saw it that it's actually perfect because, you know, I I when I when I kind of what I kind of look at with this record is I'm I'm sending out messages here. Okay, now that river that you see on the picture there. Yep. Yeah, I kind of almost look at that as like the flow of our life. Like, you know, the, the, as it flows, the river as, as our life. Now, those little things on the side, those little, those little pathways on the side are all, are all possible variations of what our lives could be like. I've always kind of enjoyed that kind of part of, the, of science fiction, the whole parallel worlds, you know, you know, like that whole, uh, I don't know how big of fans you guys are of uh, like, you know, uh, like DC comics or stuff like that with the yeah. whole meta universe where they say that, you know, there are hundreds of different possible realities of earth, you know, and for a few slight variations, they're all pretty much the same for one or two different changes in it. Like one world in one of the worlds, Germany did win the world war, you know, Ooh. or in one of the, in one of them, uh, there was a second great uh, freeze and all of North America was completely frozen. You know what I mean? Like just little variations that change and uh, that, that could have been in a different timeline, you know? So this, when I, when, I, when I came up with that title, What Lies Beyond, I kind of looked at it that way, you know? Now that I've told people about these things that concern me, you know, wouldn't it be great to think that, you know, more than 100 people will connect to some of these ideas and maybe there might be a chain reaction of events that might lead something to be fixed or something could be changed or there could be a slow burn reaction or something could be changed in the long run. Like that's how I kind of look at it. You know, what happens if I went down this door and this changed or what happens if I went down that door and this changed? Yeah. That's how I kind of took his interpretation of it, you know? Cool. And the, for the first time too, I think it's important to make a point of, if you look at the artwork, it's pretty long. Like it's a long piece, right? Because I asked him this time to make the front and back cover. So that whole piece 
is going to go around as one as it's like one. Oh, okay. Oh, like cool. Yeah. So there's no longer going to be like a separate art piece in the back. That what you see there is going to wrap around. And it's going to be like a full. Oh, great. That's super neat. Yeah. Oh, killer. I absolutely love it. Is he a, is he a David Lynch fan by any stretch of the imagination? I I have no idea actually. Like uh, from from as much as I've worked with James, I know, and this is something that I feel very ashamed to say. I know very little about the man, except that I know that he loves to paint and he lives in Florida. There you right? go. Oh wow! I, I I just happened to have gotten through a yet another rewatch of the original uh, airing of Twin Peaks, and so when I see a shadowy figure. In woods with an owl, I just immediately go to Twin Peaks. That's <laughs> oh, and, and you know the the one thing that I got to say though, that I feel kind of happy about the very first time, and I, I think I told you guys this story before, is that when I first asked him to do my ordinary day cover, he had told me he had never done an album cover before. Okay, back when I first asked him to do it, since then he has done quite a few. In fact. I don't know how uh, how much you guys are following some of Billy Sherwood's work, but you know the Prague Collective that yeah. he does? One of the more recent ones is a James McCarthy artwork. Really? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Mark Anthony K. moving the it. needle, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's the thing that I, was always, I always told him. I go, listen, I go, James, honestly, if you do an album cover and it's as good as I think it is going to be, I think there'll be others who will ask you to do it. And by the sounds of it, Cleopatra Records, who does a lot of these records that Joe uh, that Billy does, uh, like these Prog Collective records, have seemed to pick up on it. And I think if you go to his uh, page, there's been a few other records, I think, that he's done for some other artists, too. So I'm very happy that I've kind of, you know, opened the door a bit for him to do that because he's, he's, he's an artist that needs to, you know, display his work, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's always one of the uh, the highlights of a new Project Gemini record is is seeing what the artwork's going to be. And completely to rewind all the way to the beginning of our conversation while we're I'm I'm thinking about the aesthetics of your work. The uh the root beer vinyl on book three was mm -hmm. absolutely delicious. Oh <laughs> yeah. A lot of people liked it. Yeah. A lot of people it's it's hot. Yeah, and the the funny thing is, when I first put up the the polls of like what color should it be this time, I don't remember who put it up because I certainly didn't put up root beer vinyl. Somebody within the the supporter base put root beer vinyl as one of the poll really voting pieces there. Yeah, and it took off like it, everybody started going root beer. Hey, that sounds like a good idea, you know, and. It turned out really good. And again, and this is why I, I, I try to tell this to a lot of young artists, and I, I hope it does kind of click with them, is when I told uh, William, the guy who runs Train Records, that I wanted the album this time to be root beer vinyl colored, you know, he kind of looked at me and goes, well, what exactly, what, 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 like what shade of brown do you want that to be? I go, listen, I go, you you figure that out. I'm going to leave that in your hands. I trust you. 
Okay. And I said, you know, do what you have to do. Go grab a couple of cans of root beer from the store, pour it in a glass, look at it, do what you because he was the one who picked out the, the shade of the teal for book two, which I really liked. Okay. That he did. So I told him, I go, I'm going to trust you this time to pick out the shade for root beer vinyl. And I think he did a great job. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm unabashedly just fixated on colored vinyl. It's embarrassing how <laughs> the number of, of, of purchases I've made based on color choice alone, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> I'm on Discogs, discogs.com mm -hmm. and I searched for James McCarthy and something that Billy worked on is animals reimagined a tribute to pink floyd yeah that's and, him and yeah it's a fantastic james mccarthy cover really neat pairings of musicians i mean no doubt billy sherwood always has you know every friend in the business but yeah yeah this this is uh fantastic uh, with um, Martin Barr and Graham Bonnet and Pat Mastaletto and Patrick Moraz, Billy Cobham, I mean, Arthur Brown, Rick Wakeman, uh, mm -hmm. Carmine Apice, John Davison. I mean, uh, wow. <laughs> what a great... Yeah, he, those records that he does are really fantastic. And I'm, I'm a big big proponent of his prog collective records uh, in, in fact and if i could just divert our discussion for a microsecond here uh the when the quest came out for yes i was one of the big people on the, the yes music podcast that was seriously pushing that it was going to be a fantastic record because i had every, i had this kind of belief in my head that steve was going to let billy write a little bit more of the music and if it was anything like he was wrote, writing on the prog collective we would be in for a good yes album now the quest didn't disappoint me but it didn't live up to what i was hoping for personally i don't know what you guys think of the quest but that's what i thought of that record but the new record that's going to be coming out now i have every belief now that this is the one that people will be very happy with sure it's not going to be close to the edge it's not going to be relayer but i think it's going to be much closer to what people are hoping for we have a couple of epics on it we have a 14 minute song on this yes album we have a nine minutes a couple of nine minute songs i think it's going to be more a return to form than prior mirror to the sky yes and yeah we already know it has some uh, orchestrations i was checking out the yes music podcast there to yeah. inform me on all that so. yeah <laughs> okay good 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 you do, i don't want you to overhype it but 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 <laughs> keep it keep it in the keep it in the safe zone and and, and, yes. and, and yes 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 temper our expectations sweet all right so to uh to finish this up then because i mean we could it's been so long since we talked we could probably talk all night um, yeah. However, there are other things that we all have to get to. I want to close up our discussion then on what lies beyond. So we are recording this on the 22nd of March. The first single, um, Cyber Wonderland, has been out for, what, uh, a week? At five this point? days, I think. Yeah, five days at this point. You had mentioned um, the release date is April 21st and pre-order so people can purchase this um, digital version 
um, CD as well as vinyl will all be mm -hmm. available, um, yes. presumably through your, your Bandcamp portal, and that's mm -hmm. starting very first part of April. Do you have an exact date? I don't have an exact date yet, but it will be the the first week, second week, the absolute latest of April. Okay, and and all three will be available for well, I guess the the digital version will be available almost immediately, but all three yes. will go on sale at the same time for pre order. Is that correct? Uh, generally, what I do is I do the CD first. Okay, uh, mainly because it, it's almost like one scratches the other. The digital. And the, like the single that I just put out now as, is helping to fund Got the it. CD and, and the CD stuff is also helping and also the digital sales. And this is one thing I want to point out and thank people for is that, that it's, it's had a good reaction, Cyber Wonderland. People have been buying it. I even got a couple of messages now saying that people have bought it again. So there's been good reaction to it and people have been supporting it because I'm trying to use the funds from that to pay for the lacquer cut Got of the it. album because the lacquer cut is pretty expensive now and it's going up and up and up every single year to do these lacquer cuts so and i need to get them done if i want to have a vinyl press right yep awesome so yeah we'll um so this will this will release before april mm -hmm. and uh so we'll get this out so we are actively encouraging all of our listeners to go um check out Project Gemini, Cyber Wonderland, and um, yeah, definitely pre-order the format of your choice. And Mark won't object if you if you pre-order multiple formats. Of course not. Yeah, of course I'll be very happy if you do so. And people have, and I and I have to say, I've said it before, and now people kind of roll their eyes at this, but I sincerely mean this. I, I feel I have some of the greatest supporters that a that a musician could ask for. I mean, I've had people who have bought multiple copies of it i've i've had people who have messaged me back and said that they've reordered cds and want me to sign them all and send them to them you know I, i've had and i've had for example i've had people who bought like a vinyl and like usually i, tr I really try to set my price reasonable on the vinyl because i know it's getting ridiculous with prices for vinyl now yeah. i've always tried to keep it around 30 dollars canadian and so for american people that's a that's a steal okay so uh, and I've had numerous times where I've had some of my very supportive American supporters who have come in. I see that they bought a record and they'll openly pay more. Like I've had a gentleman who spent 45 US. He would give me for a record. I told him, you don't have to do that. It's only 30 Canadian. No, no, no. Put it towards something for another CD run or something, you know. So I'm very fortunate to have Generous. the sort of supporter base that, that's out there. And I really, really want to thank them all. Cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. I, I'm really excited um, by this. And I'm, I'm always excited. I, I'm, I'm a media type person. So I'm always excited when you release things to sort of, you know, get the CD and then a few weeks, months, whatever later, get the get the vinyl. So I, I kind of enjoy that that escalating uh, sense of fulfillment personally. Yes. And um yeah, and it's it's really great to 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 catch up with you again, Mark. Any sort of closing thoughts with regards to um, this project? Uh, knowing you, you probably have three other projects that are are sort of percolating right behind this one. <laughs> well, one of the things that I said in one of my uh, Project Gemini updates 
in January was that this year I was taking a slightly different approach where I wanted to approach one of my projects, complete it, and then move on. I've had a lot of times where I've overlapped a lot of stuff, and I found sometimes that I got a little difficult to keep them in order. Yep. And, you know, all of a sudden I thought that I had sent out something for this project and really I'd sent it out for this one. You know what I mean? So uh, now I'm trying to keep that way going. Now, just so you know, uh, this is pretty much ready to go as far as I got to just get the artwork over to train records and bingo, bingo, this is done as far as preparation for a new Project Gemini album. Now, everything, now all I'm going to be doing now is just trying to do a lot of interviews like this on other podcasts and stuff like that. You guys are the first ones. Thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. Sure. And uh, from from here, uh, I believe the next thing on the table is going to be Joe Bailey's next record, I believe, Sweet. is going to be the next thing that's going to be coming up next. I know that when I talked to him last, he had written quite a few songs already. So I, I, I'm looking forward to doing that. After that is done, on the agenda is the next Dark Monarchy album after okay. that, that we, that we will work on. Now, once that's done, that should take us to near the end of the year. But if I have time, some Mark Anthony Kane, the Lower Third Collective Reservation, if I have time to do it, I might try to sneak in a Mark Anthony Kane, the Lower Third Collective, another one of those records out. Uh, they've only been digital, mind you, but I've always liked doing that sort of, you know, hard rock end of my songwriting. So uh, that's only if I had the, the time to do it. I mean, the one other thing that I did want to do, and I was promising this for a while, but I never had the chance to do it, is to re-release uh, the early records on picture disc. Oh, I've been getting yeah. pressure to do it. And everybody's saying, the artwork would be phenomenal on picture disc. You should do it. You should do it. So I might do it. Uh, starting with an ordinary day and a brand new day. Awesome. Well, yeah. look forward to all of that, and hopefully, the uh, the stars will align to allow us to catch up, Mark, throughout 2023. Hopefully, yes. much more than we did in 2022, um, because and not only for the projects that you described, but you know, it's always fun just to talk to you to you about you know things you know that we both like in common, um, yes. you know, maybe fun topics. I still have a couple in my head of things on the palaver that we could certainly use your, uh, your knowledge and perspective on. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can, we can sort of stay in touch and uh, yes. look forward to talking to you a lot more this year, my friend. Great. I look forward to it. And, uh, you know, just all you have to do is just send me a message on our little secret circle of Prague there on the messenger there. I love it. Absolutely. Kenny G, any last thoughts from you, my friend? Uh, I'd like to finish with a slapstick comment, but uh, this time I'm going to say, uh, Mark, thank you for the history lesson. In August of 1968, the Czech Socialist Republic was jointly invaded by four countries, Soviet Union, Polish People's Republic, People's Republic of Bulgaria, and the Hungarian People's Republic. Uh mm -hmm. 137 civilians died, 500 wounded in this uh, rapid invasion. So uh, thanks for the history lesson and the personal family connection. You're very welcome. I'm glad that uh, these kind of things make people do something like, like you just did. Maybe take a look at the history and learn a little bit about it. The Palaver Research Department comes through again. Thank you very much, Ken. <laughs> Mark right. Anthony Kay. 
Thank you as always for your time. It's fantastic. Um, very much enjoy your time. And I just always love exploring your music with you. It's, it's been great. Ken, thanks for coming along for the ride. And gentlemen, until we do this again. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPol on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala. That's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>